0: All right. All right, friends, we're glad to see you tonight on this Awana Night. Let's all stand together. Everybody stand up with us now. Let's sing out. Let's talk about Jesus. If you don't know it, you'll learn it pretty quickly. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is He, the Lord. The great I am, the way. The truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Super job. Let me get you three girls right here. Come up here for me, please. Come on. One, two, three. Come on, girls. Quick, quick, quick. Bibles. All right, here we go. Let's do our American flag. Hold it up nice and high there. Peyton, if you would please. Ready? Salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance. Sin against God. Great job. You can be seated, folks. Thank you, girls. All right. I want to give give you a couple of hey, everybody before the little ones head out. I'm going to give you a couple of prayer requests, and I'm going to put a couple of these uh, on our call system tonight. But first of all, I want you to please pray for Brother Billy Whitlow. That is Shannon's uh, husband. Uh, he went to the doctor today, baby. Is that right? The first thing this morning with extreme abdomen pain and his appendix is ruptured. So pray for Billy. He is in the hospital and you know that is that can be extremely uh, deadly even. So pray for him. We'll keep you updated on that. Pray for Angel Martin's mother, uh, excuse me, Angie Martin's mother. Angie uh, sits right over here in the middle on Sunday mornings, second row. She and her husband just got married a few months ago. Uh, her mother's in the last stages uh, of her life. We've been going back and forth to the hospital every evening after work. So pray for that family. Brother Jim Hall, uh, his brother passed away today. So pray for Brother Jim. And then I want to share with you some good news. Got this today from Sister Vicki Turner, and this just sent me uh, uh, ecstatic, uh, made me just overjoyed to get this. Pastor Greg and Miss Renee wanted to provide an update on Robert and me. Today, Robert had his best day uh, since the accident. They were able to take the tube out of his nose, and he was able to eat breakfast for the first time. He is so happy he had a cup of coffee. That is my kind of man. My kind of man uh, he they even had him up walking briefly with ten broken ribs. Uh, I continue to struggle. I have continued to struggle with concussion, headaches, nausea, sensitivity to light, but I feel better today and for the first time don't have a headache. Please thank everyone at the church. I feel like Elijah. God has met our need every day by the brook Cherith, sending new ravens every morning. Isn't that awesome? What a blessing. All right, Cubbies, you can head out uh, this evening. Thank you so much for your patience, Cubbies. You can head on out. And Sparks, come on tonight, Sparks. And TNT.
1: Let's all stand together over the bill tonight. Hymn number 364 in your Blue Song book, page 364, Standing on the Promises. We'll do the first, second, last verse tonight, hymn number 364. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fail. Storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing The promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Sending on the promises of God. Sending, standing, sending on the promises of God my Savior. I'm standing, standing, I'm
0: standing on the promises of God. Amen. Let's remain standing. Aren't you glad for those promises that never fail? Amen. Always there for the child of God. Thank you so much for that, Brother Ken. I have to smile every time we sing that song or I hear that song. I go back to the year 1978. I was eight years old. I had been taking piano for two years. I had been saved for two years. And uh, on one uh, Wednesday night, there was no piano player at the church. So the pastor, Brother Thomas Hardy, looked at me and said, Greg, you know how to play, don't you? And I said, Preacher, I think I can do two or three songs. And I named the two or three I could do. He said, "Great, come to the piano and play Standing on the Promises. Twelve minutes later, we were still singing that song because that's about how long it took me to play it. (laughs) I could play one note at a time, but anyway, love the song, love the meaning behind it tonight. If you've got a special request this evening, you want to uplift your hand tonight all over the building. Outspoken on my left this evening. Anyone want to share a quick outspoken request tonight on my life? Rufus, yes, sir. Absolutely, buddy, you bet. Someone else uh, with an outspoken request tonight. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Anyone else tonight? Outspoken requests on my left. Yes, sir. Brother Rodney. Is that your uncle? I had no that's that's her uncle too, then, isn't it? <laughs> I had no idea that was your uncle. I thank the world of Brother Calvin. Amen. Wonderful. Uh thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Anybody else outspoken? Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you so much, Michaela. Remember that one. In the middle tonight, an outspoken request. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Pray for Matt, if you would. Uh, Amen. Bless your heart. Appreciate that. Somebody else in the middle tonight. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen, brother. Someone else tonight, outspoken in the middle, Chester Wayne. Amen, buddy. Amen. Somebody else. Yes, ma'am. Miss Helbert. Amen. Appreciate that. That's your son. So remember, for those who didn't know, that's her son, Jimmy Helbert. So, yes, ma'am. Amen. Well said. Well said. Quickier too. Good golly. Yes, ma'am. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that, Sister, Sister Vi. I appreciate that. Anybody else in the middle? Yes, ma'am. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Watched Cameron grow up, and when he came back home as a soldier, just blew my mind. I still think of him as eight years old. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. All right, on my right tonight, I want to share a special request. Michelle? All right, certainly. Miss Irma. Amen. Continue to pray for Brother Jerry. Appreciate that, Miss Irma. Others on my right tonight want to share. Son. Is it uh, not Burlington, but Bristol? Bristol, Bristol. Uh, Absolutely. Somebody else on my right tonight. Yes, ma'am. Boy, how many of us could say amen to that tonight? Amen. Anybody else on my right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful and honored, as uh, we've heard said, that we have a church whose doors are open. And we have folks who come here ready to hear from heaven, to bear one another's burdens, and to take prayer requests to the throne of grace, where we can leave them there. Lord, I thank you for answered prayer. How delighted our heart was today to receive the good news of how you're answering prayer for Brother Robert and Sister Vicki. We ask you to continue to bless them. Lord, so many others in our church that we've mentioned tonight that need a special touch of heaven. Lord, I pray that you bless each one. Bless us tonight as we open up the precious word of God. Give us tonight exactly what we need in this day and age to contend for our faith. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Brother Ken.
1: Let's uh, turn to page 224. There shall be showers of blessings. We'll do that first verse in the course. Have a time of fellowship. Page number 224. There shall be showers of blessing This is the promise of love There shall be seasons refreshing Sent from the Savior above Showers of blessing Showers of blessings we need Mercy drops round us our fall But for the showers we bleed, shake hands.
0: Thank you so very much uh, for the, your prayer requests tonight and all that you uh, shared with us. I'm going to say a little bit more about this on uh, Sunday, but brother Eddie, this place looks spectacular. This looks awesome. Amen. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about it on Sunday, but uh, my goodness, what I feel like we're in a different sanctuary, and now now we realize all the other stuff we got to do. Amen. But, uh, Eddie, we can't thank you enough. And, again, I'm going to say more about it Sunday, but I'm so grateful for what you've done. Congregation, turn in your Bibles tonight to Jude. Ushers, make your way down this evening, if you would, please. The book of Jude. Find the book of Revelation. Go back one page. The simple little book of Jude, 25 verses, the second to smallest book in the Bible. But, my goodness, how important. Lord, bless the offering tonight. Maybe what you'd have it to be. Most of all, Lord, bless our... Bible study time, in Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you would. The book of Jude. Again, go to the Revelation. Go back one page, and you find the book of Jude. 25 verses, small book, yet one that is critically important. It has been a little while. It's been a few weeks since we've talked about it, so I want to bring you back up to speed, refresh your memory just a little bit. We are entitling the message, or the series of messages, contending for our faith. Contending for our faith. That title comes from verse number 3, which we'll read in just a moment. By way of background, I want to remind you that it had been Jude's desire to write a letter of encouragement. He tells us that in the first few verses. He wanted to write a letter of encouragement and exhortation to the church to encourage them in their walk, but he was confronted with an issue that he felt he had to address. We fast forward now some 1950 years and the issue or issues that Jude felt he needed to address are issues that we now face in even greater detail today. After this brief introduction of the first few verses, Jude really dives in and names very specifically, in detail, the danger that the church is facing. So go with me, if we could, just to verse 3 to begin with, so I can remind you where we get the title of the series. Verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, of the common salvation. In other words, he says, I wanted to write a letter that was exciting, that was encouraging, that would exhort you. He goes on to say, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Again, I want to paraphrase this because you need to know this. Jude said, When sitting down to write a letter that would be delivered to the second-generation churches, again, second-generation, this is the children, if you will, of those who saw the living Christ. So now, it was his desire to sit down and write a letter that would be delivered to the churches, that would encourage them in their salvation, a really praising letter to really pat them on the back, encourage them to keep on keeping on. But he said, there came an issue that was brought to my attention that I had to address. And so that letter took a very different turn than what he originally had intended. Over the last couple of weeks, again, almost a month ago now, greater than a month ago, we started this series and we really just broke apart the introduction. We're going to really look tonight at the first of the issues that Jude addresses And I want to again remind you that it is all about an important term that we need to understand. It is the term apostasy. The word apostasy literally means the abandonment or the renunciation of the faith. And Jude says, as I'm going to show you tonight, that those who once walked in the faith seemingly and have now walked away, or those who are living in willful and open disobedience, are bringing great harm to the church, and he felt the need to address it head on. When we first started the series uh, some time ago, I said to you that I bet most of you could probably not recall a message having been preached from the book of Jude, I went back through my own records. I keep pretty copious records of my own preaching, and I could only find one that I had ever preached from the book of Jude, never taught through it as we're doing now. And I think you're going to see tonight why so many preachers have stayed away from it. Jude is not politically correct. Jude does not mince words He doesn't smooth things over. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He doesn't say anything to try to make the medicine taste better when it goes down. He names it, says it's a problem, and says, you got to address it. you got to fix it. Now, I want to say to you just a moment, as I'll say again at the end tonight, I am by no means advocating that we have to be mean-spirited in our belief. It is one thing to share our belief. It is something altogether different to be hateful and nasty. And I submit to you tonight that one of the reasons that we don't win the numbers that we ought to win is because sometimes we are a little bit mean-spirited in our delivery. But our desire to be kind does not mean we ignore basic biblical principles. That's what we're going to look at tonight. we got to... Remind ourselves of this simple fact, church. If this was a problem 1950 years ago, our adversary has had 1950 years to perfect his tactics even more. And what he did then, he is still doing today. Before we get into it tonight, I will tell you again up front that this kind of stuff that we're going to address is not popular. I think I'm going to be able to give it to you in a way that will make sense to you, resonate with you in this 21st century age that we live in. But I will say again, the topics that Jude addresses are just as real today, and he would not make it in 21st century society with his lack of political correctness. I will also begin by saying that I believe that one of the reasons that we are where we are as a nation Is because of the failure of people in the pulpit to address some of these things head-on. We have allowed fear to compromise instead of really addressing issues as they should be. We will look tonight at verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. We'll read them as we go. So let me give you number one tonight, point number one, the danger. The danger. Let's read verse number 5 together. You know what, let's just go back and read verse number 4. For there are certain men who crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you get where we're talking about that term apostate or apostasy. Those who were among us, if you will, those who were part of us, if you will, that have now walked away, turned their back on the faith. I'm not talking about those who are prodigal, I'm talking about those who are now renouncing the very foundations upon which this book is built or those uh, who are still engaged in the work, but are taking a very clear stand against the book. Let's go to verse 5. Notice number one, the danger. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. (laughs) Uh, If I could paraphrase it, it's like Judas saying, let me remind you of something, folks. Let me smack this back into your memory. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Wow. (laughs) How the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, If we stopped right there, that'd be a shouting hallelujah point. Thank God he rescued the the Jews out of Egypt. But Jude doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and destroyed them that believed not. You don't get amens for that part. Notice with me, if you will, he is reminding us that sin and rebellion will spread like a cancer if it isn't dealt with and abandoned. He says, though you once knew this. Before Jude gets into the real details of the rebellion, he addresses the church. The rebellion was commonly known amongst believers. That, that idea of being, the Jews being delivered out of Egypt was part and parcel of the Jewish experience. Just like we talk about Calvary today, like we talk about the empty tomb today that is foundational to who we are, the Jews and their lineage and their ancestry would be reminded of, of the deliverance of the, Egypt, of, the, of the Jews out of Egypt. It was part and parcel of who they were as a nation. And Jude says to them, you have disregarded a fundamental truth you've forgotten about it yes you celebrate the deliverance out of Egypt but you have forgotten the fact that God killed those who didn't believe I fear today one of my great fears frankly is that in our quest to be user-friendly in our quest to attract a broader audience or a congregation we sometimes in churches choose to forget or overlook certain teaching or doctrine that we know may be offensive. That's a a simple statement, and it's a blunt one. I'm reminded that Paul told Timothy to preach the entire counsel of the Word of God. There is their idea of their deliverance. And I want to remind all of us, church, that like the Egyptians, we too have been delivered. Let me take you back to Exodus. We won't read it, but you can be reminded that he delivered them from suffering, he set them free, he desired to lead them in a land that he described as flowing with milk and honey, a promised land. God did all of that, not because the the Jews deserved it, he did that because he loved them. You know very clearly the story, rather than remaining faithful to God, rather than Worshiping him continuously, the Jews over and over rebelled and turned to false idols. They loved God as long as everything was hunky-dory and roses. But the moment challenges came, the moment obstacles came, the moment tribulations came, the moment things did not go the way they wanted, they would turn their back upon the very God that brought them out of bondage. Say again, church. Like the, Egypt, like the Jews were delivered out of Egypt, uh, we as God's children were delivered out of spiritual bondage. But oftentimes, and I hope you'll say amen to this, instead of being faithful to God, faithful to God's service, we grumble and complain about how things are not the way we want them. And oftentimes, I hope you'll say amen again, instead of giving God our best, we give God our leftovers, Your deliverance. Notice, if you would, please, the last clause of verse number 5. Afterward, destroyed them that believed not. What Jude is referencing there is Numbers chapter 14, verses 28 and 30. 28 through 30. Again, most of you know the story. I'll remind you. Moses gets to the very precipice of the promised land, gets to the very edge of this land from which God pulled them out of Egypt to deliver them to, and he sends in 12 spies to scout out and to help plot the course of the arrival into the promised land. Again, you know the story. Of those 12, only two come back and say, we can do this. There were 10 who came back and said, there are too many giants, there are too many problems, they are too strong, we can't handle them. This is the God. Think about this, folks. This is the God that miraculously put them, delivered them out of Egypt, miraculously fed 2 million of them every single day, miraculously provided for their needs, miraculously gave them the law, miraculously did things over and over and over, yet they get to the edge of the ultimate blessing, and the report is... We can't do it. We can't do it. As a punishment, God said to two people, the two that came back and said, God's got it, that was, you know them already, Joshua and Caleb. They were allowed to see the promised land, but everyone else who was 20 and above would die in the wilderness. Why? Because they were non believers. Again, this ain't popular, folks, but it's Bible. Science says that it is estimated that meant that based upon what we think the numbers were of the Jews that were traveling, that there were 40 deaths per day. 40 deaths per day because of unbelief. It is a sober, listen now, and I hope you'll say amen. It is a sober reminder. That God will not turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to sin and rebellion amongst His people. So often, when we talk about today what is wrong with our society, what is wrong with our country, we look to the lost. Would you listen to me very carefully? The lost are supposed to act like they're lost. Seldom do we look internally uh, to see what is wrong. And I'll remind you that it was not the non-Jew that God killed for rebellion. It was the Jew that God killed for rebellion. He He didn't allow it with Israel, and he won't allow it within his church today. He is not speaking here, Jude, is not speaking to the unbeliever, but is rather speaking to those who know God but choose to live differently. Number one, there is what I'm calling very simply the danger. Number two tonight, roll up your sleeves, it's going to get ugly. Not from me, but from the word, the defiance, the defiance. Look at verse number six. The angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day under the judgment of the great day again and the angels which kept not their own their first estate but left their own habitation he hath reserved in everlasting chains Under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Of all the 25 verses written in the book of Jude, this is the one about which there is the most controversy. This is the verse about which there is the most division, if you will, about what is being referenced. And the debate falls into two categories, two camps. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. In fact, at one point in preparing this, I had page after page after page that I was going to share with you, and I thought, good golly, Miss Molly, let me just summarize it for you. There are two groups of of Bible scholars that, 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 that reference this divide. There is the first group that believes that the angels that are being referenced here are the same as the sons of God that are talked about in Genesis 6. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home tonight and read uh, the reference between the sons of God, the daughters of men, uh, and what happened there. And there are some who believe that Jude is referring to those folks. Then there are other scholars, and I count myself among this group, uh, the second group, who believe that what is being talked about here is the rebellion of Satan and his fallen angels uh, that are spoken about in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, all of which will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. So again, is the angels that's being referenced here the ones talked about in Genesis 6? Or is it Satan's angels from Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28? Ultimately, here's what I want you to take away from this. Because here's what Jude is saying. It really doesn't matter in my mind which camp you fall into. What Jude is trying to say is just like they were punished for their rebellion, so too will we be punished for our rebellion. That's the simple underlying truth of that verse. doesn't matter which angels he's talking about because in both instances, those folks who were followers of God and walked away and openly rebelled, there was a consequence for that rebellion. Society, church, please, I'm being kind when I say this. Society is full of people who were once actively involved in Christian service but have renounced their faith. Oftentimes, trouble arises in, ch- in church when people know the truth but won't submit to truth. And there are so many problems, and you know this, that arise from man's desire to do as he pleases instead of submitting that desire to the authority of the will of God or the Word of God. And of course, you understand, as I think verse number 6 clearly demonstrates that rebellion has a price. Rebellion has a price. Even the word rebellion has a negative connotation in many places today. Notice what it says at the second part of verse number 6. He hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. I want to remind us all, folks, all of us, I know it's a Wednesday night crowd. But I want to remind all of us of the seriousness of serving God. This is not something we can be neutral about. We don't have to be mean. I'm going to share that again in a few moments. We don't have to be unkind or mean-spirited. But we either believe what the book says and act accordingly, or we don't. We cannot remain neutral. So we go, number one, from the danger number two, the defiance, to number three, the open depravity. As we read tonight, verses 7 and 8, I caution you, don't laser in on the sin that you're going to immediately jump to. You're going to know what I'm talking about as soon as we read the first five words of verse number 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and instantly everyone jumps to the same sin. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but I want to caution everyone to remind us uh, that the sin that is being discussed here in verse number 7 is sin just like any other sin is sin. Notice what it says. The depravity. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, we don't read that in Genesis. We don't read in Genesis that the depravity that was present in Sodom and Gomorrah had infiltrated the surrounding cities, but Jude tells us about it. And it reminds us again, church, i got to say it, and please listen, sin is a cancer. If it's not dealt with, it spreads. If it's not rooted out, it spreads. Again, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Everybody in here, you know about the depravity and the perversion that is discussed in Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want to caution you that that wasn't confined to only Sodom and Gomorrah. Moreover, there are lusts of the flesh that are not confined to that specific sin. Our tendency is to laser in on that one area, that one sin, but I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The script has flipped in one generation. The script has turned upside down in one generation. Those who hold to a traditional, biblical-centered view of sexuality, of the home, and the family are now viewed in the most negative of terms. It's a mouthful, but I want to say it one more time. What I tell folks when I get asked, and I'm very cautious, what I tell folks when I get asked is I am pro traditional family I'm not anti anybody because my Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and there is no sin from which God cannot deliver somebody out of but those of us who hold to a biblical centered view or a traditional Judaic Christian view are now viewed in the harshest of terms Listen carefully. God gives a blueprint for his perfect design. And Listen, mankind has always had the option of deviating from the blueprint. This is nothing new. Any sin, don't just focus on the one sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Any sin that you can name, mankind has always had the option of deviating from the blueprint. There are consequences for that deviation. I put it in simple terms for us all to understand. You're building a new facility, a new home. The architect lays out for you the ideal blueprint for the land that you've got. He puts the plumbing in place. He puts the wiring in place. He lays everything out or she lays everything out the way that it must be ideally set up for the perfect home that you've sought. And you come up halfway through the project and you say, I really don't like the bathroom on this side of the house. I want to put it on the other side of the house. And the builder says, or the contractor says, well, okay. But understand that we didn't put any plumbing over here. We put it all on this side of the house. And so if I'm going to put a bathroom over here, I got to tear that out and redo all of it. What he's saying is you can deviate from the plan, but there's going to be some consequences. Monetary, might not work out as good as you'd hoped. Problems down the road that you might not have anticipated because everything's not in perfect alignment the way it was originally designed to be. That is where we are tonight, church. Where those of us who hold to a biblical-centered view are now the enemy. And I'm going to give you a Gregology statement. That statement is why our nation is so divided today. That statement is why our nation is so divided. It's not political. It's not racial. It's not geospatial. It's not societal. It is simply a foundational statement, a traditional view of the family and what that means and what God designs versus something else. And in one generation, folks, it's flipped. One generation. Notice, not only do you see the depravity, I want to go to verse number 8 and notice the decay. What does it say? Likewise, also. Now, again, this is where I get the statement that I don't want you to Focus in on just the sin described in verse 7. Because what Jude says is now he flips, if you would, and says, like those folks were punished for that sin, likewise understand that those filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He now says, like there was consequences for that, there's going to be consequences for this. Like, Like God rained down retribution because of that, be prepared for God to... Bring the bells of believers today what is he talking about well he says also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh that simply means folks filthy dreamers defile the flesh that simply means a mentality that anything goes that anything goes anything that man could conceive in their minds acted out in the flesh One of the great divides today, and I'm going to really, I'm going to quote my president. I'm going to put this down to where the cows can eat it. I'm going to make this in the very simplest of terms today. The simple reality. When we talk about the sin that's being discussed here, not in verse 7, but in generalities. What is our world view of society? My son and I discuss this often. You see, the Christian worldview says that mankind is a helpless creature and a hopeless creature without God. Left to our own devices, we will sink into sinful depravity. That we must have God in order to reach our potential. A worldview that I'm going to call humanistic believes that mankind is essentially good. And left to their own devices, they will get better and better and better. That, folks, is the great divide today. And so I tell you that everything that we're arguing about in in political realms, and education realms, all of it comes down to those simple ideas. Do we believe that mankind must have God or is mankind sufficient without God? And I challenge you today to flip on your television, to open up your newspaper, or listen to a radio program, and tell me if mankind is better today than what we were 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. I stagger today. Every night before I go to bed, it's something I probably need to quit doing. But I will review all of the news headlines from multiple news organizations because I don't want to get it slanted. And I have to tell you, most of what I read sickens me. Sickens me. I started counting this, and you will be staggered when I tell you this. I started counting this in September of 2017. There has not been a month yet. And there's only been four weeks in September of 18, where a teacher, a public school teacher, has not been arrested somewhere in America for sexual activity with an underage student. And 90% of them have been female teachers to male students. Tell me that we're better today without God. Tell me that our progression, if you will, is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That's the message of Jude. That's why I don't want you to laser in on that specific Sodom and Gomorrah sin. I want you to understand that what Jude is referencing is what Paul talks about as the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. Or the pride of life. John talks about. Let's go read that verse one more time. Notice verse number 8. Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile their flesh despise dominion. Jude characterizes what's going on with the second characteristic. Not only do we have these sinful, fleshly desires, but those that despise dominion. Dominion just has the idea of authority, a rulership. Can Can I pause a moment and say everybody answers to somebody? Everybody answers to somebody. The idea today that I'm going to do my own thing and nobody's going to tell me what to do is utter foolishness. One of the great dangers I think that we're seeing that's ripping apart the fabric of our society is an unprecedented rebellion in our day, especially among a younger generation. You're not going to hear me criticize teenagers and young folks because I love them dearly and they are fighting battles that most of us will never imagine. I'm going to submit to you that one of the great dangers that we've instilled today is this idea that that you don't have to listen to authority. That is contrary to what Scripture says. In fact, Scripture says to pray for those who have the authority over you, and it reminds us that that authority is given there for our protection. Even in church, there is open opposition to authority those who do not wish to name the master of their life as Jesus Christ I submit to you there's danger and finally in verse number 8 it says and speak evil of dignities lastly jude declares that phrase speak evil of dignities and that references simply the lord himself the dignities is equivalent to if you would deity So what Jude is talking about are those who refuse the deity of Christ. They refuse to admit any accountability to God. They refuse or renounce the word of God and will not accept it as an authority. Openly opposed to the ways of God. I'll close tonight with two statements. In many parts of our society, war has been declared on believers. I'm going to say that again. Many parts of our society, open, outright war, has been declared on believers. Many parts of our society, many walks of life, and I'll include higher education as part of that, war has been declared on the Christian. We're seeing that that Tremendous divide, and I'm going to be blunt, that I think is ripping apart the fabric of our society. We cannot, on the one hand, stand and say, one nation under God. And look at money that says, plainly describing God. We cannot, on the one hand, declare that we are one nation under God, yet shake our fist and say, you can't tell me what to do. Now, I want to close tonight with with something that's very important that you hear me. We're family. And you can say things to family that you can't say outside of family. Amen. So I'm going to say to you tonight as family, we need to be prepared to defend or as Jude says, contend for our faith. But I'm going to tell you something my mama taught me early on. You'll never win anybody with vinegar. You will never catch anybody with vinegar. And nastiness and unkindness and meanness never wins anybody. The child of God should be kinder, more loving, and more accepting, listen to what I'm about to say, of the lost, than anyone else in the world. The preachers of yesteryear said it like this, and it still resonates today. You can love a sinner and not be in love with their sin. And you will never beat the sin out of anybody, but you can sure love them all the way to Jesus because he does what we cannot do. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Contending for the faith the Lord tarries is coming, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get easier for the child of God. And we're going to keep on contending and keep on loving people. If you're here tonight and you want to join us at the altar, so we pray for our nation, pray for our churches, pray for our preachers. You come make your way. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the book of Jude. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful tonight that you included it in Scripture. Lord, it's easy to ignore parts of Scripture that we don't like. It's easy to preach around things that we don't engage in. It's easy to be unkind at times, but that is never the way you'd have us be. I'm reminded that Jude was writing to believers, to family. Lord, we know that in our society, things are troubling. Things are difficult. Things are challenging. I have no doubt that there are people in this group of believers who have faced persecution, who faced discrimination, who faced issues because they proudly proclaim the name of Christ. Lord, many of us never thought we'd see that in our day, in our society, in our country, but we're there. And Lord, so we're going to ask you to give us grace. To show us how to love people that don't love you. Lord, I want to say that again. Help us to love people that don't love you. So that we can show them how good God is. So that we can show them the joys of being a child of God. Lord, it's my desire that in every walk of life, every one of these believers here, would shine with the glory of God. There is nothing that attracts the lost to the cross like believers who love him. Help us to be those kind of believers. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed tonight. Thank you for your attention and for being here this evening.